Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Minority. Here we, we, we hope to engage in contemporary topics, contemporary issues relevant to our age, and how Islam can address them. Today I'm excited to, to announce that we have Brother Abdullah Anik Misra joining us, um, who has conducted a number of excellent lectures and videos, and who is also the, the, the man behind the Sira song, who many people know. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Brother Abdullah. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah khairan for having me. Jazakallah khair for joining us. So today I would like to discuss something that we actually haven't formally discussed as a, as a topic within our podcast. And it's a topic which is, which is one that's very dear to our hearts. And that's the topic of the love that we have for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the greatest of creations. Um, and j- just as an introduction, you know, just growing up, I feel like there's always been these teachings that have been imparted from my parents and from my teachers about the mercy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the love and the compassion that he had sallallahu alayhi wa But it was only later as I began to grow up, as I began to read, as I really began to feel this somewhat intimate connection with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So just as an introductory question, Brother Abdullah, I just want you to talk about just general we'll we'll get into into specific topics but just just talk about the concept of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the love that uh muslims should have for him everyone knows when you come into islam you say two things right la ilaha illallah there is no god except allah and Muhammad Rasulullah, that Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the messenger of God. The Prophet Muhammad is essentially like the, he's the crux of Islam, if you really think about it. People will object and say, no, no, it's God, it's one God. And in reality, yes, obviously the truth is based on one God, but that message comes through a, a human being. And even those who believe in God and believe in one God and are, are monotheists to the core, they still do not become completely in submission to God, Muslims, until they accept the Prophet Muhammad as the last and final messenger. So the centrality, that the central role that he plays in Islam cannot be downplayed. And when you do downplay that, uh, you lose a huge element of Islam itself in that. In the Quran, when who I mean, who is it revealed to? It's revealed to the Prophet People's People's judging of whether this message is true, is based on looking at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ. And so, and the entire sunnah and the explanation of the Qur'an is, is the vehicle of bringing that to us is his entire life story, his seerah. So it's a, it, he plays such a central role. He's essentially the crux of Islam in that sense. And he's the one that brings those who believe in God, which may not, which be, may be people from any walk of life, to correct their belief in God, and then to correct their actions for the sake of God, right? And those two things, because he's the door to those two types of knowledge, knowledges, the one of belief and that of the way that you are, your action, and all, all of those things that those entail, then uh, the, he becomes the door of that knowledge through which, or the, the, the body of that knowledge, um, which everyone else follows until the day of judgment. The love of the Prophet ﷺ, now he tells us, in, as Allah tells us in the Quran, Allah tells the Prophet to tell the Quraysh, 
That tell them, if you people really love Allah, or kuntum Allah, if you have been really loving Allah, like you come down loving Allah and believing Allah, then wholeheartedly follow me. So, and then Allah will, will duly love you. Allah will surely love you. So there's this idea that initially he did not appeal to people based on loving him as a person, as the reason for believing or or being a Muslim, or as a, as a role in Islam, as a duty in Islam. But rather he's saying, if you people claim to love God, then follow me. And that following, wholehearted following, and observing of the Prophet will make you fall in love with him. And that's why he lived his life in such a way that later on, what did he tell his companions? Later on, what's the hadith? That none of you truly believes until I am more beloved to him than and then their parent, their child, and every single uh, human being put together. So all of a sudden now he's bringing love into the perfection of faith, loving him into the perfection of faith. So it's a journey. Loving loving the Prophet ﷺ is not something that you necessarily come in with. You can only love someone that you know, right? Or someone whose favor has been upon you or who generally you know as to be someone who loves you. So that's why loving the Prophet ﷺ is so central to our Islam because it's the perfection of faith and many of the qualities that the Prophet ﷺ is embodying can only be, I think, fully manifest in a heart that loves the, loves the Prophet ﷺ, and mm-hmm. also in a heart that realizes that the Prophet ﷺ loves you. That's that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the love of the Prophet, I think, in a nutshell. I'm in long space. Subhanallah. You know, there's a number of beautiful ayats and hadiths that you mentioned um, regarding the Prophet ﷺ, um, and the one that I wanted to focus on. Was this uh, was the hadith about how true iman, true faith, is when you love the Prophet more than your loved ones? Yes. And I think it's 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 something very it's something very profound for us to really ponder on for a moment and just think about the love that we display to maybe our mother, mm-hmm. to our siblings, you know, for those who are married to their spouses, and just try to. Recon- and, and and try to try to try to understand the relationship between the love we give them and the love we give the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? And yeah. so, and I think when we really juxtapose it in our attempt to acquire true iman, we see that there is so much further that we need to go. I mean, all all of us. It's it's a trajectory. So, it, loving the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is not something that you like buy from a store or you say a shahada. You know, just look at it. The Prophet also said. In another narration, even more than them, their own selves, their own souls. Oh. So it's not only your loved ones, even his own self, right? So it's not just your love, because your loved ones are symbol, like they are a very apparent symbol of your attachments, your loved ones, right? But what about your own soul? At the end of the day, everyone has this deep love for themselves. That's why Umar, when the Prophet said that to him, Omar said, Oh Rasulullah, I love you more than everyone else except myself. Because mm. he's being honest. And this is Omar, who suffered through the Meccan period into Medina, beside the Prophet at Badr, at Uhud, at every single thing you can name. And he's still being just dead honest. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's hearing a hadith. And he does not even just he does not even change to conform to the hadith right away because he's on he's he's real. He says, mm-hmm. I love you more than everyone else except myself. And the Prophet indicates. You know, you haven't gotten there yet then. And he goes back, thinks about it, 
Then he comes back. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than everyone else, including myself. And he said, Al-An, Ya Omar. He said, Now you got it, Ya Omar. So this is Omar ibn al-Khattab, who starts off as an enemy of the Prophet and eventually just goes on this trajectory of love to the point where he's honest. <coughs> and then he says, I love you more than I love myself. And what is that? Mm-hmm. A perfect faith. None of you believes with a perfect faith. And so this is a this is a this is a this is um, a trajectory for us and a life journey. Mm-hmm. And you know, Subhanallah, what's so interesting is if you read many, if, if you look at the literature about the Prophet sallallahu in the English language written by the Orientalists, um, the number one theme that they're most concerned about is the Prophet sallallahu as a conqueror, right, as a military leader. But I think despite the Prophet being a remarkable military leader, the one thing we don't we don't talk about is the Prophet as the greatest conqueror of hearts no and have all of his enemies. We have many hadiths, which I'm sure you can narrate, where people have hated the Prophet They despised him. He was the, in their words, the Prophet was the person that they hated most on humanity but within a short time, he became the most beloved. And so how did the Prophet ﷺ win over the hearts in a manner in which if he could win over the heart, there would be no need for warfare or to fight others? Yeah, this is this is the, the strange thing. You know, in our modern times, they even have this like military term, you know, winning hearts and minds, mm-hmm. you know, that no, that no conqueror is able to really do. Uh, and that's because the Prophet ﷺ was not a conqueror, right? Conquerors, they destroy and they create hate in the hearts of, of whomever they, they run over, basically, they bulldoze over, um, because they're coming in and doing what they're doing with nafs and for the sake of dunya. And the Prophet was not uh, a conqueror in the typical sense at all, uh, in the sense that they are saying, as you said, conquering hearts. By how? By destroying the myths, symbols, and the idols that are inside people's hearts that cause them to oppress others and themselves. When this is removed through a loving example and through a just example, right, then this is what causes love to come inside their hearts. This is the only reason why you can explain that, you know, the, the Muslims are being attacked by a group of people, then they they win against that group of people. Let's say it's Ta'if, let's say it's yeah, in the Battle of Hunayn, for example, you know, and then they win. And then all of a sudden, that same group of people within the same generations becomes the most devout and fervent Muslims oh, you found. And they're not like, they're not like, you know, constantly in internal warfare against the Muslims pushing back and forced to convert. Nothing like that at all. They are the ones that become the vehicles of Islam going to the next generation and to the next place. So it's not just the people in Mecca and Medina that are pushing Islam out. Yes, that happens initially. Then the people of the lands that Islam spreads to, they become the, they become the ambassadors of Islam. That cannot mm-hmm. happen unless the heart changes. And the heart does not change by force. It changes by, by moral force not by physical force. Mm-hmm. And it changes by completely convincing people. And this is why, that this is what the Prophet's message was. And yes, many people came to hurt him, to kill him, to attack him, and did attack him and, and hurt him and kill others around him. But what they encountered of his response melted their hearts. Sometimes it was through forgiveness. Other times it was through a miracle being proved like that, that this is the messenger of God. Other times it was just through something simple like a touch physical touch and mm-hmm. that that expressed that love so the prophet everything he did was an embodiment of mercy when people get that mercy 
they their ego breaks down. When their ego breaks down, the light of faith can enter inside it. Right. That's the beauty of the puppet. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know what, you know what's interesting, brother Abdullah, is that in our society today, we we talk often about the word loyal and loyalty. And what's interesting is when you study the great historical figures, you find with almost all of them that by the end of their life, their greatest friends, their greatest companions turn on them. Yeah. And so, for instance, we have the story of uh, Julius Caesar, yeah. who, you know, at his assassination, he has he has everyone in the Senate around him, people who he thought he could trust with his life, and yeah. they all backstab him and they kill him. But what's so fascinating about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that everybody that was with him in the beginning was with him in the ending. Yeah, definitely. definitely. All the companions that were, that were there at the beginning were there with him at the end. And at the end of his life, when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was very sick, had his companions wanted, they could have overthrown him, taken over the empire. But you see that deep love to the point that even when he passes away, they they're not. It's interesting when he passes away, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The first thing on their mind is not who's going to take over the empire; it's them grieving. And Umar ibn Khattab radiAllahu anhu saying, you know, he just couldn't believe that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had passed away because that was what was important on their minds. It wasn't well, about the empire; it wasn't about the dunya. It was about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I think that's 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 a miracle that shows that there was something about the akhlaq of the character of the Prophet وسلم, that even in death they still uh, he still held a, uh, a a close place within their hearts subhanallah no doubt no doubt and the other thing is although yes the question of leadership very quickly became an issue um, only because of the they didn't want the project this beautiful project called the ummah of the Prophet وسلم, to have to disintegrate uh, and that's why the questions of leadership came up very quickly after the Prophet left the world. Mm-hmm. But nobody would would even, you know, broach that subject in the lifetime of the Prophet mm-hmm. because, again, of that love. That's why they couldn't believe that he had left the world. They, they were just like, is this possible? Only Abu Bakr who had to come and confirm that for the Ummah because of the because sometimes the closest person to you, they're also the most mature. They know you the most. They love you the most. But at the same time, they have that foresight, that vision. So it was very clear that he was, um, you know, he was made for the, the leadership uh, for the Muslim Ummah. But it, but you're very right that um, that love was there constant. And this is why even when Abu Sufyan, when it is said that he went to visit uh, one of the Roman rulers and he was questioned about the Prophet mm-hmm. then one of the questions was like, are his followers increasing? Or are they leaving him? Or what are his companions like? And he was saying, no, they're just increasing. And it's not like there's a fallout with a senior companion. He goes off and mm-hmm. forms a splinter group. I mean, when you even think about it, even other prophets, their people just rebelled against them, turned against mm-hmm. them. You know, even even Isa, Jesus, you know, they they you know they uh, according to the, the Bible was you know so there, there was a, there was a, one of his senior companions, one of the one of their one of his inner circle um, was the one who. Uh, they say betrayed him. Now that doesn't necessarily bring down anything about the the status of a prophet at all, at all. But the amazing thing is all of the hypocrites around the Prophet eventually they kind of went out to the edges, you know, and either they became Muslim or Allah took care of them. But definitely um, the kind of total sway that the Prophet had, and then not only that, but even after the life of the Prophet they carry his sunnah. And they mm-hmm. preserve it exactly until this day. No one comes and says, you know what? I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point. There are false prophets, but on the outside, outskirts. Mm-hmm. People who didn't know the Prophet very well. They were not his companions. They were not close to him. 
they started to cash in, but they were quickly destroyed. But the core group of companions always was consistent and agreed on the message completely, even when they disagreed with each other sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, about other things, politically speaking, how to manage, how to run things. But when it comes to Quran, the Sunnah, the life of the Prophet, it's complete agreement. Same with the same Swanwan. It's, it's a very big sign. Mm-hmm. And so, so loyalty is a big thing. But so, so I, what I meant to say is like that dimension of loyalty is one that uh, we have to emphasize. But I really believe, you know, you know, the more I've studied this and I've, you know, I, I haven't, um, I'm nowhere near qualified as some of our scholars have. But in my undergraduate degree, um, I did write several papers on Sira. Um, I've read a number of books and I still am nowhere close to recognizing the greatness of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, with, you know, Michael Hart famously in his book put the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as the most influential human being. But I still think he is far more uh, influential than we give credit to. And, you know, there are these new books coming out. There's this interesting um, uh, book by this Orientalist. uh, I think it was called Islam and the Rise of Capitalism. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, subhanAllah, that was um, so remarkable is he said the Prophet was the only prophet in documented human history who was actually an entrepreneur. Like he was actually like a merchant. He like he was actually a businessman, yeah. oh, and so and so the and, and I think that's a perfect manifestation of the religion of Islam, in which the priority is for the akhirah, but right. there is a sharia that is revealed. There are laws by which we govern ourselves, and how could we have a religion that's solely like you know just this esoteric religion where it's just all about you and God without any laws about how to govern trade, about how to govern our interactions with one another, and it just it just really it blew my mind because I had never thought about that dimension. And then I realized that, you know, what you know about the Prophet ﷺ is nothing compared to who he actually was. Oh, it's, it's, we're just beginning to, you know, it's an ocean. It's an, oh, the Prophet ﷺ is an ocean and, and it just keeps going and going. And as you said, part of the appeal of the Prophet ﷺ is the shumulia of the Sunnah, the shumulia meaning the comprehensive nature of, of how he was, like he had a hand in business. He was a father. He was a he was a husband. He was you know in this, in that, in this, in that. So he had experienced so many different modes of life and taught us so many different things that we're not left wondering, like you know, well, this is like you know, Islam is good on a spiritual level, as you said, but on a worldly level, it's a bit different. We have to we have to live in the world, and that's something else. It's not like that. That's why Islam just comes into every aspect of your life. That's why when you look at a book of fit. Why does it have like something on every single chapter of life? It, uh, there, there are laws, there are rules, there's guidance because the Prophet ﷺ himself either said something or demonstrated or dealt with people like that. So there's no doubt that the uh, example of the Prophet ﷺ is the widest. And the other interesting thing is the reason why it's not ending is not just because uh, it's what's in the books. You know, it's not just about what's in the books that, that we have to keep discovering. But as we in the human project progress and see and learn about leadership qualities, learn about parenting techniques, learn about, you know, any number of things in psychology, in sociology, in in medicine, in many other things. We just keep discovering all these new things as in the human project, in the, in the sphere of knowledge. And then we come, we start finding it back in the Sunnah of the Prophet And this is one of the amazing things. It's not just going back and the, the ocean goes backward and forward. It's all around you. As we progress more, we, we learn more about the Prophet and we keep saying, 
Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu like, wow, he knew that like so long ago, and they're just saying that now, you know, Muhammad Rasulullah. So that's what we that's what we keep finding ourselves saying. How many times have we said, you know, we hear a hadith, and maybe the people of the past they didn't like you know try to do too much of a commentary, they didn't apply, but you listen to a hadith and you think, wow, Sadaqa Rasulullah, he spoke the truth because, you know, you're just saying it's so applicable to our time that the, mm -hmm. the, that modernity or like contemporary events are the sharh of what he was saying. It's exactly what he was saying. So many times I read a hadith and come across a hadith that I never heard of before because there's so many hadiths. Right? Right? Even you study the six books, there are so many more hadiths than, than that. And there's so many times where I'm like, I can't believe he said that. Like, I'm just stunned. And I'm copy pasting it, putting it into a, a folder called interesting hadiths. And I'm just like, you know. I have that too. I have that too on my notes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing personal collection. I mean, we can compare sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know you know you know this is something it, it might be beneficial to you it's something that i do which is it, which is a little bit strange what i do is um i'm very big on audiobooks and so i'm always listening to many books um and i'm always looking at the i'm always reading uh, or listening to the books that are always you know number one number two in the realm of self-help so i'll always look at the new self-help <laughs> books and i'll always go in there and read it because um I'll read it with the intention that I'm that I can condense this whole book into one argument, and that I can find a hadith of that argument. Allahu Akbar. No, I, so I, I, so so I'll go there and I'll find a book on on being on, on gratitude, and they'll and you know they'll talk about all the new psychological studies about how you can be grateful, and I'll just bring all that back to the Quran. They'll say you know if if you wake up and you just try thinking of all the blessings that you have. You know, you'll never be able to count them all. And I'm like, subhanAllah, when to uddu ni'matullahi la tahsuha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you tried counting the blessings of Allah, you could never try them all. And yeah. so recently I started, there was this new book I started on mindfulness. Mm. Right. Because especially in the post COVID era, everybody's talking about this term mindfulness. And if you yeah. look, actually look at the chart, post 2019, the word just skyrockets. Right. So everybody right. wants to know what, what does this word mean? And so as I'm listening to this, and they're talking about how, you know, you need to dedicate some time to just being by yourself and just contemplating. And then uh, this past week, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf did a lecture on mindfulness. That was um, it. That was very nice. And it, it just brought everything together. Like, what are you truly mindful of? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and so if we can have our mind full of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it'll trump any of the other exercises that that these secular uh, psychologists will inform us of. And so oh, yeah. the more I keep reading, you know, there's also arguably the most famous book right now is Atomic Habits. Yeah. And the entire book can be condensed on this one <laughs> point. The entire book. This is, I mean, I live in Silicon Valley. Everybody reads, everybody's read this book, but the entire book can be summarized in one sentence, which is uh, the key to success are making atomic changes consistently. Oh. Hmm. making consistent small changes in your actions. And I thought of the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, the best of actions are those that are consistent. Yeah. So the more I'm looking at this literature, it's, 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 it, yeah, this was never my intention. But now whenever I go into it, I'm realizing this is one of the ways I'm increasing my love of the Prophet ﷺ. No doubt. No doubt. Alhamdulillah.
Yeah, I mean, it's about it's really about it when you when your heart is open to something, you'll see the answers everywhere, right? And so, as you're reading this book, for example, connecting it back to the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, his own character. If you don't have that awareness, you're just you're just reading books, you know, Atomic Habits, Grit, something else, something else, something else, and you're saying, oh, these these people have a very you know very enlightened point of view. But it's because you're connected to the Sunnah, because you're connected to the Prophet ﷺ, that you see mm -hmm. that wisdom everywhere, and that's why you know what is it? Wisdom is the lost property of the movement. Wherever they find it, they pick it up. But it harkens back to the source, right? The word, the revelation from Allah, the word of Allah and the Prophet. So there's no surprise that you keep it keeps echo everything you find is echoing back to mm -hmm. that one source. And you know, it's especially when we talk about ethics. Um today, you know, there, there there's this interest in Stoic philosophy, um, people spending all this time reading Aristotle, Socrates, or these contemporary philosophers. And they don't spend enough time reading just the hadiths of the Prophet And as someone who's who's read a lot of or a decent number of Western philosophy, um, who on on a day to day basis is reading different books, when I started reading, you know, when I started developing a daily practice of reading Riyadhul Salihin, the difference was I was like one of one of these one of these knowledges are practical, and the other is just like just random theoretical thing. Yeah. And so as, as you continue to read, for example, like we are going through right now, the chapter on Jur, right? On the chapter of hunger, it really just makes you think, okay, what is my relationship with food like? Mm. And what, what is the purpose behind all these hadiths talking about starving oneself? Like what is, what is the underlying great wisdom behind it? But when I'm reading many of these philosophy books, it's just this very abstract concept. So in the yeah. realm of ethics, right? And in, 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 in the, the idea that, in every single action that we do, at every single moment of our life, there is a dua that our Prophet ﷺ left us with. From the moment that we wake up until the moment that we go to sleep, that every action you can apply a dua, which shows that in reality, the most mindful person ever in human history, without a doubt, was the Prophet ﷺ. No doubt, because he was always aware. I mean, to the point where, you know, if just imagine the angel are saying, his his eyes are sleeping, but his heart is awake. Wow. So, how much how much more mindful can you get than that? Most of us, even if we're conscious and mindful, the minute we go to sleep, we're out. And the Prophet is mindful and awake, even in a state of sleeping, because his heart is always awake. And that's exactly what mindfulness is. It's the heart. The problem is in our societies, we've separated this idea of the heart. What we 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 confuse. We think that the mind, the chattering mind, it's all we are. And that's, that's what we've lost. It's the sunnah of the Prophet that makes you find your heart again, right? Mm. And that's why the key to all of this is actually going through all of these concepts, but tying them back to the Prophet to, for our own selves to realize that there's, you benefit from people saying what they're saying. But as you said with the hadith, you can read as much philosophy as you want. You can read many things. In fact, even not only non-Muslim philosophers and these types of things, that's great. You want to read that. But even our own Muslim uh, scholars and philosophers and uh, spiritual masters, there's really nothing, is nothing in, that I've found that is more fulfilling than reading the hadith of the Prophet. To me, it, 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 to me, what I realized is after studying all these different subjects and reading all these books, and I was into reading all this different stuff. And when I came to the hadith of the Prophet, I said, this is, this is, this is really what we need. If you have this, then you have the basis of everything else. 
but we go to everything else because we have not come to see what we have in the mm -hmm. Sunnah of the Prophet. And I'm not talking about um, ignoring the modern trends and saying it's all in the Quran, Sunnah, brother. I'm not talking like that at all. I'm saying that it's a very real connection between all the things that people discover today and between the revelatory uh, the, the revelatory uh, message which comes through the Prophet. And, 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 and I, I concur with what you're saying. And um, I, I'm not of the school that claims that we need to use modern psychology or modern sociology and project it on hadiths in order to you know rationally prove them no that the base the asal it are the hadiths right yeah, the hadiths yeah, are true but but the more we use the research the more we realize like you know it's it, it's you know we, we we have a famous uh there's a you might you might know of it because you're also from the subcontinent but we have this famous proverb um the urdu is escaping my mind right now but it's uh Subhanallah, I can't believe I forgot the order, but it says, you never know, in English, it's, um, you don't know the value of chicken at home until you've tried the food, you don't know the value of food at home until you've tried the food outside. Okay, okay, I, I was thinking it was the other one, which is, Ghar ki murgi dal barabar, that's, like, the one, that's the one, that's the one. That's the one, okay, that, that means yeah, basically yeah. the lentils and the chicken in your house all taste the same. Right, because mm -hmm. the same person making it and same spices they use, so you're like, yeah, whatever, you know. So you get used to what you have at home. You go somewhere else, and all of a sudden, like the, the biryani tastes so good, you know. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, yeah. My, my, my mind's a little bit different. It was you don't really know the value of what you have until you look out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, it takes us to hear things from people who aren't Muslim. Who are praising the Prophet ﷺ to realize how great the Prophet ﷺ is? Right? Yeah, no doubt. And this is why, as well, people who have had experiences in life where they've experienced the world and they've come back to Islam or they converted to Islam, hmm. this is why the Prophet ﷺ, that it's such a strong appeal and the love of the Prophet ﷺ appeals to those people so much because they've taken a walk around the proverbial block hmm. of existence yeah. of the world and they're like, yeah, we've seen all this and what he has is better. Sometimes uh -huh. when people only grow up knowing the Islamic things or one thing, you're just, you're just like, want to, you know, the lentils and the chicken in the house just all taste the same. So you're like, yeah, whatever. I want to go out now and experience what's out there. The problem is when you go out there, you, you know, it's, it's, it's risky because, you know, if you cut off your, from your roots, your spiritual roots, you know, you're untethered. You don't know where you're going to go. And if you're lucky, mm -hmm. then it'll all bring you back home again. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is an excellent, excellent point because, um, you know, if you cut your roots off, right, you begin to see the consequences. And, you know, for a moment, if we just think about, you know, and this is just a thought experiment, it's not reality. But if you really think about if the Prophet ﷺ is not in your life at all, right? You know, so some people, when they, when, they, uh, when they leave Islam, they don't realize that by, by rejecting Islam and by rejecting the Prophet ﷺ, more problems come and more questions come. Sure. And so then you're then you're left then you're left asking yourself, um, what is reality? Is there a higher power? Um, how do we govern each other? And without revelation, that's why you know we say that the Prophet ﷺ is the door to Allah, because how can you get to God other than through the Prophet ﷺ? How do you know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to do on planet? What are the ethics he wants you to embody? What are the teachings he wants you to impart? 
how does he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want me to be the best brother the best father the best person for my community without that connection and without the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there is no connection yeah people can people can grab at straws and there's conjecture so i i would say this it doesn't mean to me people who are not muslim you know they may be able to live very nice lives like somebody could arguably say like well no um i don't i'm not like they, they could say oh, they're not muslim but I don't need that to tell me how to be a good father, a good husband. Like, let's say they'll make up and they're perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So they, it, there may be that case. We can't say that, you know, if you're not Muslim, that that you may not find a way of life that makes you happy. There are many people who live very satisfying lives. They may may have good character. Um, because, But obviously, it's very hard to find that. The Prophet ﷺ made that very easy through revelation and showed us a way. But people who are not aware of that, they may not know what they're missing. But this is the whole point. That even if you can say, well, I can I can do, get all those side benefits of a good life, a nice way to be a father. Nice, mm -hmm. Those are like the side benefits. But they get preoccupied with the side benefits from the purpose of their existence and a dimension of their soul that they never knew, they never knew existed. So you could say, for example, without a mother... You could still be raised, you could still be fed, you could still be nurtured, you could still be educated. You know, somebody would say, I can still do all that. I don't need a mother to do that. But does that replace a mother's love? And for someone who understands a mother's love, could you say anything else comes remotely close in this world to that feeling? If you had, at least if you had a good, good experience with your mother, uh, you know, for some, maybe some another parent or maybe a grandparent, whatever it is. But the point is, it's that close love. And in the same way with the Prophet, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe you feel like you have a relationship with God. Maybe you feel like you, you, you're together. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But you don't know what you're missing. This is, it's a compounded ignorance. And the, the, the whole thing about, um, you know, even though Islam is about, is, is, it's, it's a type of radical monotheism. Interestingly enough, then why does another human being have to come into it? That's where the question comes in. Hmm. Like, because yeah. you said you, you guys, you guys said it was all, all about one God. Why are you bringing another person into it, right? And this is the thing where they try to say, "Ah, I see you Muslims. You just—it's just an excuse to bring another human being." Just like Jesus, just like no, not at all. It opens a door by separating it completely from God and hmm. making it a created type of love. It completely allows us to explore fully a capacity to love in creation of another created thing and something that Allah loves. And that allows us to get closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why the Prophet said, La yu'minu ahadukum. None mm -hmm. of you truly believes until so on and so on, until they, I'm more beloved to them. Why? Why? What does that have to do with your iman? Because when you love the Prophet sallallahu you open certain doors to how you accept the truth, which then perfect your faith with Allah, without which you will not be able to attain that. Mm -hmm. And this is the this is the secret that people will not understand unless they feel that love. And that's why it's so important for us as well. We might think, oh, we're living in a scientific world, whatever, whatever, just talk about the proofs of God. And that's not bringing people to Islam. In the same way that the love of the Prophet and his example, his, his character, along with the truth, how that delivered the truth of the oneness of Allah into people's hearts, was beyond any type of rational debate or argument or anything of the such. And this is why that's a very special role of love of the Prophet in true Islam.
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's a beautiful point because as much as our society wants to emphasize science, um, you know, the material sciences, knowledge and so forth, at the end of the day, humans are really emotional creatures, right? And it's really our emotions that really govern us, right? And so many people, you know, Islam is a very rationalistic religion, right? Reason is, Islam places a large emphasis on reason, but the door that many people seem to be entering Islam through is really the door of of spirituality. In, in an age filled with nihilism, an age filled with extremely high levels of suicide, of depression, of mental health problems, all of these things, um, Islam is able to fill that void. Islam is able to show people that within your suffering, there is wisdom. And and I think the beautiful thing about the Prophet wasallam is no Muslim, no human being, but especially no Muslim has the right to claim that with all of the oppression, all of the struggles that I'm going through, then that means that God doesn't love me. Because yeah. if that were the case, then that meant that the that that God that Audubillah, then the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't love the Prophet. And I dare to uh, someone to prove to me that they have a life more difficult than the Prophet. The Prophet buried his children, buried his wife, was tortured, almost died several times, had his companions killed in front of him. And still, despite that, he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Ana Habibullah, SubhanAllah. I mean, this is the thing is that if you are the beloved of Allah and yet he's going through that, he said himself, there has been no one who has been frightened and terrified more in the path of Allah than me. And he said that there were times when all I had to eat was something that could be hidden under the armpit of Bilal. And he was just giving an idea of what he went through. And so, yeah, there's no doubt about it that um, Allah showed us. And this is why the Prophet is so relatable, because he showed us that all the things that you go through in your life, you know, whether it's poverty, whether it's loss, whether it's opposition, enmity, rejection, the Prophet himself was put through that. Why? Because of tashriya. Tashriya meaning to legislate, to show us how to behave and react, react to that. And so by going through some of these things, we actually become closer to the Prophet as well, to his example, and say, listen, don't think faith is for the perfect people. Don't think faith and salvation is for the people who are just, their life is good. This is not a prosperity gospel, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Rather, it's for those who are going through real life, and they often connect with the meanings of Islam. It's, this is the whole thing, that your suffering has meaning. The Prophet mm-hmm. gave not only suffering, all of life meaning. He gave even sipping a glass of water, meaning. He gave um, everything we do a sense of meaning, which is why Muslims are filled with that purpose. doesn't mean that you're never going to be sad. You're never going to be depressed. You're never going to be you know, lonely. It doesn't mean any of that. So people say, oh, no, but Muslims feel those things too. Yes, they do. But with the meaning and the context, there is a type of a, uh, there is type of a, a safety net that that creates that helps a person stay patient and move forward. And this is why the Prophet said to his own companions that whenever any of you goes through a calamity, right, in your lives, then let them find strength in remembering the calamity they faced when they lost me, because that is the greatest calamity, or there's no greater calamity that anyone from the Ummah can go through, right? Think about that. The Prophet is saying like that anything you go through, just think about me. Think about the fact that you lost me. And that will make it easier. So he's giving you ways to go through things in life and to let you know that he's 
he's kind of there. He's there for you in what you're going through. This is the beautiful thing about the Prophet. He's not a detached, a detached, towering, lofty figure that is so perfect. Even though he's in his perfection, lofty, towering, yes, but not distant from you at the same time. SubhanAllah. And I was wondering if you could mention the hadith um, and comment on it where the Prophet talked about um, people who would come later who would believe in him and who he called his brothers. Yeah, there, there's two hadiths that are very beautiful about that. Um, the one thing is that he said, the Prophet and this is one of my, my favorite hadiths that I memorized from when I was a, when I was early in my, in my student days. Uh, and that is that the Prophet he was sitting amongst his companions and he said, well, did to Ami Laqitu Ikhwani. He said, one, he says, I wish I could meet my brothers. You know, I, I just would love to meet my brothers. <clears throat> and so they said, Are we not your your brothers, O Rasulullah? The companions asked that. Because they're like, We suffered with you, we fought with you, we supported you. Aren't we like your brothers? You know, he said, Antum Ashabi, you guys are my companions, you're my friends. But my my brothers and sisters are going to be those people who believed in me, but they never saw me. And so the stunning thing about the Prophet is his, his sharp awareness that this there will be many more Muslims that come after him than within his life. Right? It's, like, it's not just he's speaking to the people around him. You think you would be completely enveloped and like taken up with their affairs. But he's looking through them through time. You know, he's even looking through time and he is seeing our faces in that sense and longing to say like, yeah, I just wish, you know, I could meet them, you know, as if you're talking about people that you've already met before, because brothers and sisters, you don't call people brothers and sisters unless, you know, you hung out with them in the past, or your friends from school, your distant relatives. No, he's projecting into the future, which, 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 so why is he saying that? Think about this. He's not just, so he's telling the companions that, He's, he's saying to the companions, pass this on to those people. Hmm. So when they hear about me, they're going to know I was thinking about them before they were born. And um, our distance from him does not make us distant from him in an emotional sense. In fact, it's, it's the, the love is strong and it's there. The bond is there. And he didn't call us his followers. I mean, he never even called his contemporary people his followers. He called them his companions. And instead of putting us on a lower level, he put us on a higher level because the level of appreciation is somebody follows you and loves you more than your fa- their own family and you haven't even seen that person. It's on faith alone. You have not even experienced the living with him. That's, I mean, look at that. So it's such a, it's such a blessing that Allah praised the iman of the later believers. And the other hadith that's very beautiful about this is he said, Min ashaddi ummati li hubban. Or yeah, the Ummatili Hubban, Nasun, Yakununa Badi, uh uh Loroani Bimalihi wa ahli to the near meaning, Okamukali Satu Salah. That of the most intense in love for me from my Ummah are going to be people who who are, will be coming after me. If one of them would one of them would love if they could just see me in exchange for his wealth and his family. Yeah, so I mean, like, he's, he's saying, oh, once once he says, the, the, the people who are most intense in my love, in love for me, in the ummah, all the sahaba must have been like, yeah, who is it? Tell me who it is. Is it one of us? Is it this person? Is it that person? He's saying, no, 
there are people coming after me. So meaning the Sahaba already are like, wow, okay, so later on, we cannot judge. We cannot judge. The people who came later on don't love Rasulullah as much because they didn't suffer beside him. Rather, mm. rather, it's that, and this is why Ibn Hajar says in commenting on the hadith and the test of true love is that if you had a chance, if an angel came down and said, I'm going to give you a chance. You can see the Prophet once, a real glance, but you have to give up all of your wealth and your family. Would you take it? That's, that's where he's saying, if there are people who love me so much, if they had the chance, they would do it. But alas, we don't, we're not given that chance, but the love is there. Because he said, low. You know, he said, if that. Now, the other thing is this, that it's also an assurance and a consolation that there were once, one of the Sahaba was sitting with the Tabi'een, the, their students, who never saw the Prophet the followers of the Sahaba. And they were saying, how lucky are you that you have seen the Prophet and you fought with the Prophet and you lived with the Prophet. You, you know, we wish we could be with the Prophet. And he got upset. This Sahabi got very upset. And he said, don't ever say that. How do you know if you were up against your family and opposition from your entire society just for following the Prophet how do you know what you would have chosen? Rather be thankful that you believe in him and that you didn't have to go through that litmus test. So if, and, the, yeah, it's fun a lot. And I think that's um that's <laughs> one thing I think we fall privy to as well is this hindsight, this hindsight bias, looking back and saying, Oh, you know, I would have been at the right side. But I mean, in a time of that where you're seeing people, especially during the Meccan period, what incentive and, and it's interesting, you know, because the Muslims at Mecca you know, there they were no hypocrites. Alhamdulillah. That's right. Alhamdulillah. There were no Munafiq. There were no hypocrites during the time of Mecca because you had everything to lose by being an open Muslim there, right? You would be attacked. You'd be persecuted. Uh, you would be whipped. You'd be killed. We have the story of Bilal radiallahu anhu and the tortures that he went through. And so um, we talk about something in, in our culture of, you know, day ones. The people who are with me from day one. And so, yeah. like we mentioned earlier, the Prophet ﷺ had those people who, when things were extremely difficult, during the beginning of his prophecy, ﷺ, they still sticked with him. And so... And this is why the Sahaba have a higher level, right? Mm -hmm. Precisely, precisely. But it, it, just, it, it really just shows us how much more further we can actually go for a love of the Prophet ﷺ. The last topic that I wanted to discuss with you is um, the topic of acquiring or sh how do we inculcate love of the Prophet ﷺ within our youth, within our children um, who are living in an age which um, I don't like to use. I know everybody's been using this word, but I don't use it that often, but unprecedented in its fahisha, in its filth, in its confusion with all these different ideas um, with all these different technologies. I mean, this is arguably the most confusing time in human history. And so with all these different ideas being portrayed to them, all these different ideas about uh, gender, about hawa, desires, um, and all that, how do we impart this love of the Prophet wasallam in a manner in which it will become ingrained with them, ingrained deeply, you know, deeply engraved within their subconscious? Yeah, I think I think that I'm only I can only attempt to answer that question. Um, number one, because I don't have a precedent. You know, uh, Allah guided me to Islam. I didn't grow up as a Muslim, so uh, and I see examples around me, and and I have children, alhamdulillah. 
So I'm what I'm trying and what I've seen that I think that works is that they have to know the Prophet Sallallahu uh, just like and more than a household member. If the Prophet Sallallahu is someone that you mention, uh, you know, only occasionally, only at the moment that the Rabbi al-Awwal, then, then he becomes, he remains a stranger for you. But when he becomes a real, you know, a real figure in your life, and that can only happen when the parents themselves invite the Prophet Sallallahu into their homes and their hearts. They make him part of the lifestyle. And they drop their ego when using the teachings of Islam with their children. So it's not just, you know, like, unfortunately, you know, I asked somebody once, I have, I have a client that I, I do some counseling and stuff like that. And I asked them, like, what are the top hadiths that you know? So they said to me, all the hadiths they knew were unfortunately, you know, ones about um, if you don't do this, then you'll, this is your punishment. If you don't do this, then this is, your, this is what's going to happen to you. And I felt very sorry for them because those types of hadiths are actually very few compared to the amazing body of beautiful guidance and, and even the context of those hadiths when taught to children in, without context, without explanation. So people use religion and they weaponize it for their own, you know, to control people, to, to threaten people. And if that's the impression you're going to give of the Prophet Sallallahu you're doing a great disservice to your family members. So the first thing is that the love of the Prophet has to conquer our own hearts. And then we have to try to just love other people through the love of the Prophet And when they say, why do you love me so much? Why are you like this? It's because I love the Prophet because he loved us. And that's a, that's a simple enough explanation. When you out love and you out, uh, out care for everyone else, it's its its own type of dawah that you don't even need to start saying, call Rasulullah, call Rasulullah. But if you did that, a modicum of that in teaching, then this is, this is it goes hand to hand. So it, it's in your art it's in your dawah, it's in your teaching, it's in your neighborly relations, it's in your business practices. The Prophet comes through all of those things. And when you develop that consciousness, that's what develops that love for the Prophet that people cannot shake by a mere, you know, forward or YouTube video, for example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was speaking to um, somebody very dear uh, uh, to me uh, and also to you, um, Dr. Jawad. Um, yeah. And uh, shout out Dr. Jawad. Um, and he was telling me, because we, we were, and we'll get into this inshallah, but we were talking about the Sira song, um, the song that you have written. And um, I was asking him the same question. And he said, when children are consistent, and I'm paraphrasing what he was saying, but if children are consistently remembering the Prophet wasallam, if they're singing about the Prophet wasallam, because when we sing, right, when, uh, singing invokes emotion. Yeah. Right. And we're singing and when we're singing about loving of someone, naturally we develop love for that person. Definitely. And so when children continue to sing something like a Sira song, continue to recite, you know, something, you know, recite the Shama'il of Imam Tirmidhi or so forth, over and over through repetition, eventually it can become ingrained so deep that a a mere YouTube video cannot cause them to leave the faith. That even even if they've been divorced from the religion from some time, meaning they haven't yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since they've connected at a deep state. It's been you know engraved in our consciousness. Like most of us, you know, I, I was born Muslim. Many of my friends, my cousins, my brothers, we we're all born Muslim. And usually, what's very interesting is when you get to the high school, but especially university period, that's when the tarbiyah of the child usually stops. Right? Mm. They've been put in. They've been put in the madrasa for several years. 
Um, they've heard the hadith from their teachers, from the khutbas. But after that, they there's this like detachment. Yeah. But the thing that's keeping them back are all the stories. Or it was the manifestation of the of the sunnah by their mother or by their father in this one instance. And so no matter what doubt comes their way, they remember that. And it yeah. keeps them ingrained. And, and it's, it, it acts as a barrier far stronger than any intellectual one because, I mean, because, you know, people can switch up premises and so forth. And so the goal, the goal being is how do we get that love within children? Yeah, this is it. I mean, like in the end of the day, the reason why we love our, our mothers, let's say, is because, you know, we, they, she has done the most for us, let's say, out of anyone else, generally speaking. Um, when we realize the Prophet has done more than any human being ever will, in the past, now he's doing more for us, even now, and in the future he will do even more. You have no choice but to fall in love with him, right? And so it's it's all about exposing people to the Prophet Sallallahu Even um, in the previous generation, like your parents, I'm sure nobody can confuse your parents about who the Prophet was. Even people who don't know much about Islam, but they've just grown up in a society where he's respected. Mm-hmm. Go on the streets of Egypt, on the streets of Pakistan, on the streets of you know wherever, and Say something bad about the Prophet to, 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 to someone. You're going to get slapped. You're going to get kicked. You're going to at least get spat on because, you know, or, or you're going to get educated. The point is that people will react because there's a love inside that's there that you can't really move. It's only because we became unmoored from the teachings of Islam and an environment where that love comes through or Islam was expressed harshly in a way that's not reflective of prophetic mercy then that's where people began to get that dif- that distance and you become like a lone sheep, you know, and you can be preyed upon by the wolves of Islamophobia and, and all these things. But otherwise, those doubts wouldn't even come into your mind. And, and you know, it's so fascinating. I'm not the first to point this out, but, you know, if anybody mocks the Prophet <clears throat> you'll have even the most sinful Muslims speak oh, yeah. out and take problems with it. That You know, irrespective of whatever they're doing, that's a line you just don't cross. Oh, yeah. No, no. As, as you know, as I went to one place and, you know, we saw a bunch of youth, um, you know, young, tough guys hanging outside the masjid, but they never go inside the masjid, maybe smoking outside, whatever, whatever. They were just like benefiting from maybe the courtyard hanging out in the warm summer nights in one of the Muslim countries. And somebody said, these guys would never go inside a masjid, but they'll die for the masjid, <laughs> you know, oh. meaning, you know, that when it, when time comes that the Prophet, you know, love, it's time to like kind of stand up for him or to stand up for Muslims or whatever it is. You know, people are there. And that's what tells you as well that it's that's what happens when your love is unconditional in the sense that it's not about how good you are, that the Prophet loves you because you have, you have iman. And the, that's the mercy from the Prophet that even when you're distant uh, from his lifestyle and his way, you still feel and in, you know you feel that your love is invoked when someone you love is being hurt, right? Because he was an innocent life. He was an innocent person. And this increases our love for the Prophet. So this is why we have to get that those positives in uh, before society starts making those withdrawals, those deposits of positivity of the sunnah of love for the Prophet have to come in before society starts to detract. Otherwise, then you can't, it's very difficult to come with a negative balance and then and come to me and say, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard all these doubts. Can you get me out of the doubts? 
And it's like, well, you know, how much of the positives did you spend time on, right? So mm -hmm. this is our job with our children and, and everyone else around us. And, and just like of all of like the different virtues, I think love is so powerful because, you know, when you read about these hadiths about the Prophet ﷺ, some of which you've mentioned, other ones like on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet ﷺ has paradise for him. But instead, the Prophet ﷺ says, Ummati, Ummati. Let me yeah, focus yeah. on my Ummah. Ya Allah, let me please, please let me save as many people from my Ummah as possible. Right. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grants him to take whoever you want from the fire. And then he goes and then he comes back and he says, Ya Allah, there's more of my Ummah in the fire and Allah sends him back and so forth. And you you realize the, the deep love extreme love the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has for you and then you make the you, you know you do you do the qiyas and then you ask yourself if this is the love that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has for me then how much love does allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have for me that's it, it, it that, that, that exactly the prophet sallallahu is is a manifestation of divine mercy He's a manifest, he's a creation at the end of the day, right? I mean, like he's, he's a created being. So all of that is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in Allah's wisdom, he put some of that created, that mercy for us because we can relate to it and better connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, we would just have to figure out an unseen God, have to figure everything out on our own. Okay. You know, so this is why it's such, a, such an amazing mercy that the Prophet was sent. And as you said, and the other interesting thing, even on the day of judgment, Allah will be rewarding and punishing, sending to heaven and hell. The Prophet, ﷺ, however, as much as he is a representative of Allah, he's not involved in the punishing aspect. He's not involved oh. in condemning people. He's only involved in saving them and interceding for them. Just think about that. He is involved in what? In the mercy aspect. Allah has both his justice and his mercy. He reserved for the Prophet only that mercy. That justice aspect, that's left to Allah. If Allah punishes or does not punish, that's left to Allah. So because naturally with a human being, you always feel, you know, if they're good or bad to you or if they hurt you or harm you, Allah made the Prophet not harm you, always to help you, to look out for you. And that's something that is very unique in the Prophet a very big gift that Allah gave us, that he made the person of the Prophet with that wisdom to only represent love and mercy to us. So what, what, what does he deserve from us then? You tell me. SubhanAllah. <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, this, this topic of, you know, because this is ultimately where we're trying to go. We're trying to go in the direction of trying to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from my, just my anecdotal experience with the people I've spoken to, um, with the statistics that, I, uh, that I've looked at, I found that, had Muslims, re most people, if most people truly loved, most people's problems really come from questions about their relationship with Allah. And if people really just understood, if people really just had deep love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of their doubts would go away. All of these questions about qadr and divine decree and why is this happening to me? Why would Allah do something like this to this person? All of that will be defeated if a person really just has love and husnadhan towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has the best opinion. And that's why we have the the famous hadith that uh, that you know, I, I am in the opinion 
of my servant. If my servant thinks good of me, that's what he'll find. And I think, yeah. and I think a lot of people just, they, they really just need to understand that if you have a good opinion of Allah, you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have a good opinion of you and treat you in accordance with it. Because the main question you begin to see over and over again is people just doubting their relationship with Allah and saying, you know, and shaitan will whisper into the hearts of believers that, you know, how could Allah forgive you um, from everything that you've done? But using the love of the Prophet as an example to show us what divine love could really look like. Yeah, and this is actually a very good point that you make. And and uh, if if it was just love of Allah directly and and without any sort of stepping stone to understand that, then that may seem abstract to some people. Mm-hmm. That may be too abstract. Like love God, what do you mean love of God? Like I don't know how to relate in that respect. And this is what I think getting into kind of another area for me at least coming from from a different religious background mm-hmm. for me this is the amazing thing about the prophet here's what that do we have time for, for a little bit of a so i think people because of the abstract nature of not being able to connect to god there is an innate weakness that people have that makes them susceptible to shirk and which is why when you go look around all the different societies of the world, if they were not emphasized that Tawheed was not brought to them, then they eventually fell into shirk because they kept on trying to concretize God. Because even the idea of loving the divine, it was so abstra- abstract for them uh, that without any way to demonstrate it or anything like that, they fell into loving mm-hmm. objects, yeah. objects that they could touch and feel and be more easily uh, uh, attuned to, right? Um, even Bani Israel, as soon as Bani Israel leaves Egypt, they take the golden cap because they see other people loving something, wanting something, celebrating something. And yet they're being given, you know, a message from, from, from God. With the Prophet what I feel is that Allah sent him as a bulwark and a fortification against shirk by loving him, but never worshipping him. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, deactivates the lower inclination of humanity to be misguided into shirk. And this is why, because you, you want to love something, touch and feel, relate to, you know, go, take my prophet. I've created mm-hmm. him, mercy, mercy to mankind, mercy to humanity in the world, love him as much as you want. But he himself is teaching that you don't, I'm, you don't worship me, you can love me. So people love Krishna, people love Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what happened? He sets the aqidah. He sets the standard about loving Allah ultimately. And because of his lovability and people love him, they now can take care of that aspect that needs that human love, that relatability, and now be able to cross over into a divine love that was once mm-hmm. abstract and feel it directly. In other words, he helps them to take care of their human needs of love because everyone has different needs. And then you go towards Allah purely, one, without any need for any co-share or co-partner or any desire to have anything like that. And yet, at the same time, he, he lives his whole life and passes away saying there's only one God, Allah, 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 until the end. So no one is confused. No one flips after his passing. There's no church of Muhammad, right? Mm-hmm. So we ever deify him. SubhanAllah, they deify him. Ali, they deified other people. They deified their, you know, 
but they never deified the Prophet You couldn't. He's a vaccination inoculation against shit. <laughs> which for me, coming from a, my background, Hindu background, and then Christian background, it's like, for me, it was just amazing how that love for the Prophet, that's why I'm saying it's absolutely necessary. If that's not there, one of two things could happen. Either you fall into, well, love of God is too abstract for me. Let's go towards some type of shirk, right? People falling you know, into, into other types of things. Or what happens is this is all too abstract for me and I'm just going to become an atheist. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you fall, start falling into those two things. The love of the Prophet, that's why, mm-hmm. None of you are actually going to believe until you love me. If you don't love me, then you're not going to be able to practice on yourself. I'm just going to be a monotheist and that's it. I don't need to love the Prophet. I'm, I'll follow him, but I'm not going to love him. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. SubhanAllah. It, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work like that because you need to fill that gap of, of that love that Allah created and Allah sent the Prophet and made him ultimately lovable and fulfilled that need. Now you rise through that. This is why. What did he say? Follow me wholeheartedly. Allah will love you even more. And intensify. Mm-hmm. Allah will love you even more just by following me. He's not saying love me because if you don't know me yet, you're not going to love me yet. Just follow what I do. And this is the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about the sunnah. You follow his sunnah, you will love him. You mm-hmm. love him, Allah loves you. Allah, it's the best, best deal that we've gotten. It's the, it's the, it's the absolute the best deal that, that humanity can get. Mm-hmm. And you know it, it's very interesting. You mentioned the the, the point about Hinduism because um, what you find in some of the the tafsir, the exegesis of of many of the Hindu texts is that they mention, especially the Brahman class, that the reason we allow these people to worship the idols is because they need that physical manifestation, right? Right? Because many of them believe that Brahman was this complete abstract concept, and people had trouble trying to get to the divine. And so they felt that by creating these idols and these statues, it would help people go go in, but but that obviously fell into shirk. But with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, it, it's 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 just so phenomenal. Subhanallah, you mentioned that there was never any group that came and deified him. There are no, you know, you know, they used to call us the Muhammadans, but there were no Muhammadans right? in the sense of worship. Yeah, but in, yeah, the, in the sense, sense of worship. Oh, Right, like if you look at many of these religions, you know, Buddhism is named after Buddha, right? Christianity is based off of Christ. Judaism has Judas. Like, like, like these religions are very like, like shaksiya. There's like a personality. There's like a person, and we believe in the personality of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But the but the name of the religion is Islam. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 submission. It's calling us towards something something the greatest thing ever, and that's Allah subhanahu wa taala, and that's something which transcends everything. And then, you know, the topic we didn't even discuss is the, the, the universality of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That the, the Prophet Sallallahu is for all of mankind, not just for the Arabs, not just for the Quraysh, but that every single human being on the planet, it became obligatory on them to follow him and fall in love with him. SubhanAllah. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. In fact, he was sent, that's why he was Rahmatan Lil Alameen, an Alam, is not just a world, like how we think like a planet. It's a realms of being. The realm of animals, the realm of jinn, the realm of humans, the realm of all of those things. Allah didn't say, Rahmatan lin nas. <laughs> he said all of them. So it's not just like human beings alone. The universality is that even the rocks loved him. Even the birds loved him. The sky and the, and, and, and the moon and the sun loved him. 
This is why, and yet, and yet, even with all of that love, people can't even fathom how that love can take place because they have not seen it take place except in a concept of shirk. And, and there it just goes off and goes into hell. It's like opposite. Your, and your love and your incorrect understanding. Whereas here, this is why that love of the Prophet, if you're missing it, you just don't know what you're missing. Try it. And this is what will make you realize that other people can sing songs about their religious um, uh, you know, figureheads, but it led them into the wrong thing. What we say is sing as much as you want about the Prophet's good qualities, you know, salawat upon him. He'll never leave you astray. It'll actually purify every need that you have to go purely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in pure monotheism. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the importance of creating mediums that help us connect back with the Prophet through developing things like knots and songs, um, nasheed uh, and so forth, and poetry, right? People don't realize the power that poetry can have in the emotion that it can invoke and so forth. So um, that's all I had. If there's any final comments you wanted to mention, uh, Bismillah. Bismillah. I think think it's a very... um... I think it's a very good topic, alhamdulillah, to talk about. Thank you very much for having me. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair for dedicating time towards our podcast. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening and tuning in. Um, We hope that there were certain things mentioned in this podcast that you took with you. Um, And there's there's always, um, you know, there's uh, just just the last point. This might actually break into a whole whole tangent, but... um, Sometimes I feel that whenever I need something, whenever I need something to be heard, um, oftentimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put those words on the tongue of somebody else. As if that was a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was like trying to communicate me. Like like, like that like that was a message I just, re- you know, we say it often, right? Like that's just something I really needed to hear in the moment. And so there was, there was, um, there, there were many things that you mentioned which, um, I feel like I just really needed to hear, subhanAllah. And I really needed to hear it from other people before. So alhamdulillah, it's just being passed down. And where does that wisdom all go back to? We didn't make it up. It goes back to our Prophet So alhamdulillah, I, didn't, I did not do justice to speaking about him. Uh, I'm you know, somewhat uh, you know, embarrassed that in the topic like love for the Prophet you especially, where you are, you have so many other people who can speak in a better way, in a more honest and genuine way without their hypocrisies. So Thank you for bringing me on and and and, and reminding letting me remind myself despite my shortcomings. Jazakallah khair, brother Abdullah. Inshallah, we look for, we look forward to having you on sometime soon in the future. Inshallah. Inshallah. So with that, we'd like to conclude. Jazakumullah khairan. Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.